Amen. Lord, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love or your grace or your mercy, your forgiveness. You're such a great and an awesome God. We are so blessed to be your children. And we thank you, Lord, that as your children, you give us your spirit. And Lord, you've given us your word, Lord, that you might minister to every heart. We pray as we go to your word right now, that, Lord, your spirit would minister to us, that we would receive from you, that we would be conformed more to your image. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. Just raise your hand. A few people. Help yourself. And if you have your Bible, turn to Numbers 25 and continue our verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. If you've never been here before, here at Calvary Chapel, we just go verse-by-verse right through the Bible. On Sunday mornings, we're going through the New Testament. We started in Matthew. We'll be in Romans chapter 9 on Sunday. And, we, and in Genesis on Wednesday nights, and we're up to Numbers 25 tonight. One quick announcement. Um, as, I don't know if you were here on Sunday, our church is growing big time, and that's a blessing, amen? Praise the Lord for that. People's lives are being changed, church is growing, that's great. But with that, we have a, a need in the children's ministry. I think there was 24 kids in the nursery on Sunday. And that's a great thing, that's a blessing. But just be praying about it if you want to get involved with ministering to our kids. That would be great. So just be praying about that. Again, even in some of the older kids' ages, there's just being more and more of a need as there's more and more young people. You know, Mrs. Green led me to the Lord in Children's Church and praise God for her. And it's not just a babysitting thing. It's actually an opportunity to minister to our children. You know, the childlike faith that they would come to the Lord. So be praying about that and how you might want to be involved. Numbers 25. Well, let me just give you a quick review to kind of catch you up. It's your first time here or haven't been here in a while or you just forgot since last Wednesday, whatever it might be. (laughs) Numbers 25, we come to a place again where they've been in the wilderness and remember how they were encamped. They were encamped in the cross. Remember that in Numbers chapter 2, they were given specific instructions on how they were to camp. And there was 108,000 people in one direction, 180,000 in another, and 150 in each side. And when they looked down from heaven, when God looked down from heaven, what he saw was a perfect picture of the cross. So even though we're in the Old Testament, they've been delivered out of bondage in Egypt. They camped in Mount Sinai. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're headed to the land of promise, and they're encamped in the cross. In the center of the cross was the what? The tabernacle. And in the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, and there the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. Again, His very presence. And they're encamped in these tents, and they're headed to the land of promise. And we remember what happened. That as they were headed on their way, they, they had crossed through the Red Sea, God had done great miracles, and this 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march because they rebelled against God. They began to murmur against Him and complain. Instead of having faith in Him, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Oh, leeks and onions back in Egypt. They forgot about the beatings, right? And they wanted to go back to Egypt instead of trusting God. And because of that, they were doomed to march in the wilderness for 40 years, and that entire generation passed away. Finally, we come to Numbers 21 a few weeks ago, and we saw that, that Aaron, the high priest, died, Miriam had died, and now they're finally at the point where they're going to begin to go ahead. That whole generation, for the most part, is dead. Moses has been told he cannot enter into the land of promise because he did what? He, he smoked the rock. Remember that? The Lord told him to speak to the rock, and he smote the rock, and because of that, God said, you can't enter into my presence, so you can't enter into the promised land. And so he was unable to go because the rock is a picture of Christ. So, we, so this 40 years later, the time has come, and where do they end up? The same spot where they were 40 years earlier, facing the same enemy, the Canaanites. Where before, when they got to the land of promise, and they were supposed to go in, they did what? They sent what in instead? They sent spies in. And the spies went in and came back and said, oh, there's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. They're going to squash us like bugs. And they all ran, they, were, they left. They said, we're not going to do it then. And that's why they spent 40 years marching. Well, look where they end right back up 40 years later. And I believe that's a lesson for us. When we're struggling with trials and difficulty in our life, if we avoid them, it's deal with it now or deal with it later because God wants us to grow through it. Amen? God wants us to grow spiritually and learn to trust Him. He had promised them that the land belonged to them and they instead rebelled against God. Well, this time, they heeded God's word. They went in and fought the Canaanites and they won the victory. Again, a sign that they had grown spiritually. This next generation seems to be doing better. But if you'll remember what happened right after that. They won the victory. What happened right after? They began to murmur. The new generation had learned from mom and dad. And now they're doing exactly the same thing. They began to murmur. And God sent serpents into the camp, if you remember that. 
And what did the serpents do? They began to bite the people, and as the serpents bit them, they started to die. And then God told Moses to, to make a rod, and on that rod, a bronze serpent. And they held it up in the air, and as long as whoever turned to the bronze serpent, once they had been bitten, they would be healed. And that seems really odd that a serpent, a representation of Satan or sin, right? Sin in this case, would be something they would look to to be healed. But we talked about the fact that the thing that bit them was the very thing that would save them because the Bible says that Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin for us. And that bronze serpent on a, on a pole was a picture of Christ on the cross. And all of us are sinners having been bit by, by sin, the, the serpent, and if we will look to the cross, we will be healed. And that's what happened. So they were all healed, and again, they went out and they won more victories. They defeated the Amorites, they defeated Og, and if you remember, Og was the man who oversaw 60 cities. And what did they defeat him with? The sword. The sword is a picture of what? God's Word. And so then we finally come to this place where we meet these, these two new guys, new characters. Chapter 22, 23, and 24, about two men, one by the name of Balaam and one by the name of Balak. Balak's name means destroyer. Balaam's name means devourer. And if you remember, Balaam was a a prophet of sorts, a soothsayer. He was one who looked into water and looked into different things and would tell the future, look at entrails of animals. And what happened was that Balak saw that the armies of Israel were mounting up at the foothills of where where the Moabites were. And he looked down and he was afraid as he saw between two and three million people. He knew they had just wiped out the Amorites. They had wiped out the Canaanites. And he said, man, we're in trouble. And so they were actually cousins to Israel. Instead of going down and speaking to them, he calls for this soothsayer to come and look down upon them and curse them. And so he sends for Balaam, and Balaam, they bring a pile of money, and Balaam liked money. And they brought a pile of money and said, come and curse them. And first God appeared to Balaam and told him not to go. And if you remember what happened, he said, well, I can't go, but if you brought me you know, enough money to fill a household, I, even then I couldn't go. And they come back with enough money to fill a household, and he goes. And as he's going, you remember what happened. That he's on a donkey, and the donkey starts turning aside. The donkey starts dropping to its knees, and he's wailing on the donkey. And finally, the donkey turns around and starts talking to him. Numbers 22, the donkey turns around and says, why are you beating me? And again, we see that Balaam's not in his right mind because he starts talking back to the donkey. And he says to the donkey, well, if it were up to me, I'd cut your head off right now. And, you know, and that's what he says. And then his eyes were open, and who did he see in front of him? Jesus, a pre-incarnate picture, it was Christ. We know the angel of the Lord is Jesus standing there with a sword and he would have been killed. So finally the Lord lets him go on and in chapters 23 and 24 he prophesies about Israel but every time he goes to curse them he's not allowed to curse them, he only blesses them. And Balak just gets more and more mad. He says, I brought you up here to curse these people and every time you look down you bless them more and more. And you talk about those who come against them are going to be cursed. And we talked about this when he would stand up on the mountain and he looked down and he saw the children of Israel. What did he see? The cross. And you know what? When you look at someone in the cross, they cannot be cursed, only blessed. Amen? Not because of my good works, but because of his work on the cross. I've been born again. I'm filled with the Spirit of the living God. And through his shed blood, I cannot be cursed. I'm only blessed. Amen? And so they looked down on the cross. He was unable to curse them. And so finally, at the end of the chapter last week, We saw that Balak was just upset, uptight, kept taking him to different high places. Nothing was working. And finally, it came to a point where they kind of parted ways. Now, we're going to see a little more about Balaam tonight. But I wanted you just to see that that he had prophesied numerous things. He had even prophesied about those who curse, Israel will be cursed. He even prophesied about a coming Messiah that would wipe out the Moabites. And so he knew that God was for Israel. And he knew that anybody that came against them, that they were fighting God. But watch what Balaam does tonight. So, tonight, the title of the message is So Close and Yet So Far. And this is speaking about both Balaam and the Moabites and Israel. Because we're going to see some of the children of Israel had been, again, they, they had seen and met the, the Lord. He had come to them. He had delivered them out of bondage. For, for Balaam, Balaam had seen Jesus on the road. He had been the very vessel that God had spoken through. He knew of God's blessings. Again, he had seen a donkey talk. You would think that would be enough for Balaam, but so too with Israel. This younger generation been delivered from bondage. They passed through the Red Sea. Some of them might have been five, six, seven, eight years old. I promise you, if you're eight or nine years old and a sea opens up and you walk through it, you're probably going to remember that. Amen? So they walk through the Red Sea. They get to the other side. 
They saw the, the manna falling from the sky. They saw the law given from Mount Sinai. They saw the ground open up and swallow Korah and those who rebelled against God. They saw the fire come down and smoke the 250 men. They saw their whole generation pass away. They saw the bronze serpent and the people being bitten and being healed that would look up at the cross. They've been encamped in the cross. They defeated the Amorites. They defeated the Canaanites. They defeated Gog. Og, and where are they now? They're sitting, getting ready to enter into the land of promise. They're so close. And sadly, for some of them, they're yet so far. Because at, this is the last campout spot. They're going to go across the Jordan River and into the land of promise. And as they're sitting there, waiting to go in, one more temptation is going to come. And sadly, a large number of them, after all of this, are going to fall for it. And it just breaks your heart. So verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the sin of Israel as they succumb to the flesh, idol worship. Then we're going to see taking a stand for the truth by a man by the name of Phineas. And then lastly, God's judgment upon the Midianites. So Numbers 25, beginning in verse 1, so close and yet so far. Now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove. Now the word there is, in some of your Bibles may say Shittim. It's Israel's final camping ground again, getting ready to go across. It's the place where the wood was harvested for the tabernacle. And as they're sitting in this place, this word Shittim means thorns, which is a type or a picture of sin. And they're in this place, the enemy has this one more temptation that's going to come. Balaam's unable to curse Israel, so guess what he does? He goes instead and comes up with a scheme as they're encamped in this last place, getting ready to enter into the land of promise. We'll see it in a few weeks in Numbers 31. He goes to Balak and says, here's what you need to do. Get your young women, the prostitutes from the temple to Baal, and send them down there and all the guys will follow. Just send the women in there and the guys will fall for it. And then in Revelation it says, when Jesus is addressing the church of Pergamos, he says, I have a few things against you because you have those here who would hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So even though Balaam had seen Jesus face to face, even though Balaam had seen God work mightily, he had heard the word from him, he knew that if you cursed Israel, he was going to be cursed, he still was greedy. He still was a money grabber and he said, man, I got to find a way to get that money. God won't let me curse him, I know what I'll do. And he went down and said, dude, here's an idea, send your women down there those guys, I'm telling you, they're guys. That's all you got to know about them, right? Send the women down there, and they'll fall for it. And sure enough, and the reason I'm telling you all this is because the last half of the verse tells us what happened. And Balaam suggested to Balak that the Moabites and the Midianites go down, have this religious feast, and call them to Baal worship. Now, who is Baal, real quickly? He was the god of rain and fertility, and included the use of temple prostitutes, and they would enter into sexual immorality as a way to worship. And the women went into the camp to entice these men into idol worship. So why did Balaam do this? Second Peter says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. What was Balaam's motive? Greed. Love of money. The Bible says that you can't serve God and mammon. You can only have one boss, and it's either God or it's money. So close to the land of promise, and yet so far. Now Israel's not going to fall for this, are they? They're looking across into the land of promise. The Jordan River's right in front of them. It's been all these years. We're getting ready to go. They're not going to fall for it, are they? Well, the people began to commit harlotry. Look what it says. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. You know what? Satan will never try to tempt you with something that is unappealing. And since the beginning of time, one of the greatest downfalls of man has been lust. Sexual relationships outside of the bond of marriage is sin, and it always leads to more sin. What about David? Did David have this problem? What about Solomon? 900 wives. I mean, I'm thinking there's a problem there. Samson, Abraham, many others fell into such sin. And sadly, it's still an epidemic today. It really is. Sexual immorality is running rampant. Pornography, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, all these things lead to greater and greater sin. And so the seduction is sent down into the camp and these women come marching in and guess what? The guy's eyes got the promised land real quick. These women came in, they're like, hey, 
right? Check it out, guys, right? And these women walk in, and of course they're seductresses to to taunt these guys and to draw them into sin. Look at verse 2. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. What? Israel, didn't, didn't God open up the Red Sea for you? Hasn't He delivered you? Isn't He dropping manna out of the sky to feed you? Doesn't His Shekinah glory dwell in your presence? Aren't you in a tent and camped in the cross, headed to the land of promise? What in the world are you doing bowing to other gods? How does this happen? Let me tell you how it happens. It started with the sexual immorality. You know, if a woman can entice a man to sleep with her, now she can entice him to do just about anything. All right, come with me to, oh, yeah, hey, sounds good, I'll go with you. You know, sadly, it happens at church sometimes. There'll be a, a, a young woman or in our church, and all of a sudden there's some guy hanging out at church with her, and I'll start talking to the guy, and I'll find out he doesn't know the Lord and doesn't really care to. He just likes the woman. If she invites him to church, I'll go. And it doesn't matter what kind of church it is. It could be a church of Satan. If that, that works for me, as long as I get to sit next to you, right? And what's happening here is this seduction of lust and carnality led them into spiritual apostasy and idol worship. Having been joined physically to these women, it was easy to fall into idol worship. Again, unbelievably so close to the land of promise. Having dwelt in God's promise, in God's presence. Having witnessed His hand. Having seen His wrath upon idol worship before. These children, look what it says they did. First they sacrificed. They went to the sacrifices that are God's. So they went and sacrificed. Now, it doesn't say for sure here which sacrifices they were. But one of the main sacrifices to Baal, or Baal, was they sacrificed babies. Now you have to understand, it's brutal. You have to understand that Baal was the god of fertility. And because they had these temple prostitutes, and all these guys were going in there, guess what would happen? There's a lot of pregnancies, right? So what would they do with these babies? To get more fertility, they would sacrifice them to Baal. Now we look at that today and we think, oh man, that is unbelievable. What kind of society would do something like that? We're living in it. We're living in it. Because you know what? Today, in the name of sexual immorality, abortion is out of control. And it's the slaughter of unborn innocent children who've done nothing wrong. We're blaming the children for the sins of their parents. And it breaks God's heart. And it's basically, in a sense, it's worship. It's offering the sacrifice to the God of Sexual immorality today, it's no different. And it began with lust. In James 1 it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If these guys' eyes were really on God, they would have not seen the women when they came. Or if they had, if they're so focused on the promised land and going where God wanted them to go and doing what God wanted them to do, that when the temptation came, it would not have been a distraction to them. But remember again, Satan will never tempt you with that that is not pleasing to your eye. Because it won't work. You know, there's plenty of things that tempt your pastor, and your pastor sins every day. I struggle. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, okay, and I'm frail. But by His grace, when my eyes are on Him, I, I'm not sinless, but I do sin less. Amen? And as Christians, we should. But I'll tell you this, they could back up a dump truck full of cocaine, put it in my driveway and leave it there for a year and I'd have no problem. That's just not a temptation for me. Now some of you that might be a problem. So Satan's not going to do that. Put the dump truck of coke in front of my, I'm going to just take a shovel and throw it in the garbage. Get it out of here, right? But there are certain things that Satan knows are Dave's weaknesses and your weaknesses and that's the thing he's going to bring. And he knew that the weakness for these children of Israel was women and lust. Look at verse 3. So they bow down to them. Now let me ask you a question. What are the first and second commandments? Shall no other God before me, he shall serve no graven image. They broke commandment number one and commandment number two right there. They followed away. It started with sexual immorality. Look at verse three. So Israel, listen to this, was joined to Baal. So they not only, you know, they became a part of Baal. They were sacrificing to him. Offerings, again, to this this false God, this God made with hands. No sin is more provoking to God than idol worship. The Bible says he's a jealous God. He created us to have a relationship with him. And we're, in a sense, we're we're cheating on God and our marriage to him by going and having a relationship with another and a false God. And so directly in opposition to his honor and to his glory, to his mercy, to his grace, to the cross. You know what this is? This is the golden calf of the next generation. 
Amen? Their mom and dad had the golden calf, remember? And because of the golden calf, what did God do? He judged them. And he judged them. Now, some people say, well, God, is, that's kind of brutal that God would judge them. God is a God of love and grace and mercy first. But if we reject his love and grace and mercy over and over and over again, he will give us what we ask for, which is judgment. And so they, the idol worship and sexual immorality of the golden calf, remember that? It was exactly the same. It's passed on to the next generation. And it says there in the verse 3, And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And the word there for anger, anger in Hebrew mean, it speaks of both anger and a saddened or broken heart. God looked down at his children and he was angered, but his heart was broken. His heart was broken because he loved his children. And it just, just, it just he, man, he had, he had delivered them. They were encamped on the cross. He had dwelt with them. He brought them to the very land of promise. And now they turn to another God so easily. And his heart was broken. And you know, the same is true when a child of God today just chooses to rebel against the Lord. We talked about this on Sunday. God loves you so much, you cannot even believe it. There's no way to put it into words. I talked about the fact that I never really fully, and I still can't fully, grasp God's love, but it talked about He, he gave His Son for us. And those of you who are parents here, you know how much you love your kids? You love them so much it hurts? Imagine God gave His Son for us. And he allowed him to suffer that you and I might have eternal life. And we should not run from him in times of difficulty, but run to him. And sadly, we see here that they turned to Baal. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. Now this is where people struggle with God sometimes. Now wait a minute. God is saying, take them and hang them? Now, who are the leaders? The leaders are the ones that God had called to keep people in a right walk with the Lord. God had raised up men who were supposed to be, have oversight over the people and keep their eyes on the Lord. And if they had fallen, he said, I want to make an example of them. So they were taken outside of the camp and they were hung in the sun, middle of the day, so that everybody would see the consequence of their sin. Held to a higher level of accountability when you're one who's called to lead God's people. In James 3 it says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. So it's a public spectacle to God's judgment upon immorality and idol worship, pointing again to God's justice upon sin. They were set outside of the city and they were hung there. Look what it says. Out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So this public spectacle of being hung in the sun in the middle of the day would turn God's wrath away from Israel. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. But it's going to turn God's wrath away by the leaders being hung in the sunshine as a spectacle, a picture of the fact that sin has consequences. Sin comes with a heavy price. Amen? Salvation is free, but it wasn't cheap. It cost our Savior a great deal. And so they were set outside in this this, act of, this righteous act of judgment would turn God's wrath away. Verse 5. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Now this is even more heavy because who are these judges of the 70 elders? If you remember, Moses was judging the people by himself and he was overwhelmed and his father-in-law Jethro came to him and God spoke to him and said, You can't do this by yourself, Moses. You've got three million people here. You can't pastor this church by yourself. Right? So he raised up 70 men, and these men would minister to the people. And no doubt they were assigned different portions of the people. And now he turns to these judges, and not only are they to deliver the word and to minister truth to them, but sadly they also have to be the ones to bring judgment. And so he says to these 70 elders, he said, you go to those who are assigned to you and kill them. Man, now, is God a God of love and grace and mercy? Yes, he is. They have turned their back on him over and over and over and over. And finally, because of his love for the entire camp, he has to destroy those who have turned their back on him, become idol worshipers, and get them out of the camp that the rest of the camp may continue to walk with God. They're camped on the doorstep of the promised land. They succumbed to the flesh, and they had to be put to death, and they missed out on God's promise. The sin of Israel, they succumbed to the flesh, to idol worship, and to idolatry. Sin brings forth death, and death brings forth 
separation. Now verses 6 through 15, we've seen the sin of Israel. Now we're going to see someone taking a stand for the truth before God. And we're going to see the courage of this young man by the name of Phineas. And Phineas is going to literally rid the camp of evil. Look at verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So all the people have gathered together. They're mourning, they're weeping, they're repenting at the door of the tabernacle. Now that's where they need to be. Amen? They've been off worshiping Baal. They've been up in the high places worshiping Baal, drawn away by these women. Yeah, I'll go with you. And they went up there and they're making sacrifices of the false god. God's judgment comes. The leaders are hung outside of the city. Some of their own family members, no doubt, people they know are being slain. And they come before God and say, Lord, forgive us and get us back into a right place before you. They're weeping over those who were lost. They're weeping over those who had rebelled against God. This immorality is running rampant. God's anger is aroused. And this judgment is being dealt with. Again, through the leaders being hung, idolaters being slain, and the people are grieving and mourning and repenting. It's a gory, brutal sight. Blood running. And in the midst of it all, look what happens. It says here, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman. So in the midst of it all, we're going to see in a minute that this guy was an Israelite prince of the tribe of Simeon. And he comes in and brings this Midianite temple prostitute right into the camp with him. Now he may have thought because of his position as one of the leaders in the tribe of Simeon, we're going to find out later that this woman was also, uh, her dad was a chief of the Midianites. And he may have thought, well, we've got high position and we're above the law. You know, that law applies to everybody else, but it really doesn't apply to me because I'm in leadership. Everybody like that. I'm in leadership, so the law applies to you, but it doesn't apply to me. And he comes right in, in the midst of the weeping and the, and the repenting, and he brings this temple prostitute in with him. And he marches right into the camp, right in front of Moses, and he's almost proud of his sin. Yeah, that's right, I'm doing it. And you know what? There are people I've met repeatedly that they turn their back on God, and, and, they, and they just kind of flaunt their sin before God. Understand that God's grace does not equal God's permission. Amen? Just because you've, you've been sinning and you haven't been, you know, dealt with any consequences yet, doesn't mean God is approving of it. I've even seen people where the guy, they're coming to church, he divorces his wife, he meets another woman at church, he's having an affair with her and brings her to church. Dude, what are we doing here, right? Now, in love, confront them, but amazing to me, this is kind of the same thing. He walks in with a woman, yeah, I'm here, I'm at the, ta- I'm at the tabernacle and I brought my prostitute with me. What do you think? Well, guess what? Phineas is going to have a problem with this. He may have thought his possession, again, position made him exempt from the law. Well, look at verse 7 and 8. It's not going to work out too good. Now when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. Now I wonder what he's going to do with that. So he grabs a javelin. Now Phineas is the grandson of Aaron and the son of the then high priest who was a man by the name of Eleazar. And so what does he do? It says here, And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman threw her body. So the plague stopped among the children of Israel. Wow. So he comes marching into church in a sense, right? Got his prostitute with him. Yeah, that's right. I'm defying God. What are you going to do about it, right? And you know what, it could have even been that the other judges, because this guy was in a position of authority, thought, oh man, you know, well, we can't really. Phineas, young man, grabs a javelin, follows the guy back to his tent, where he's going to be with this woman in a way that he shouldn't be, and walks in and throws a spear through him, a javelin. (laughs) Pins him to the wall. Whoa. Now, you might say, well, Phineas is in big trouble, right? No, he's not. Phineas boldly stood for the truth of God's command. He'd done what Moses had said they were to do. The leaders were going to, 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 to kill those who had rebelled against God and who had turned their backs on God. And God's command was to walk holy before him. And as we will see, God is going to richly bless this man and his family. Now how does this apply to us today? Him taking this spear and going in. And While we live under God's grace and are to love others supernaturally, we are not to turn a blind eye to those who would be counted as believers who openly flaunt their sin. Now, 
We're not going to be selling javelins in the bookstore on Sunday, all right? We're not supposed to go out and wreak vengeance. Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. But there is a New Testament form. It's found in Matthew 18. And here's what happens. If you know, somebody, if you know that your pastor is doing something, if you know anybody's doing something out of love for them, not self-righteously, never judgmentally, but if you know that someone is just flaunting their sin before God, go to them in love, one person at it, by yourself, not telling anybody else about it. Go to them and say, hey, bro, hey, hey, sit, I see this in your life. I'm concerned. Here's what the Word of God says, and it's to restore them back to fellowship. If they won't receive you, it says, then take another brother with you. Again, not telling, you know, not gossiping, just going and say, hey, bro, I'm concerned. I'm seeing this. I love you, man. I want to see you in right fellowship with God. Here's what the Bible says. Now, then if he still rejects it, then it says take him before the church. How often have you seen that happen in your lifetime? Once. Anybody else ever seen it? You know what? In the church today, we just don't do that. We're, and you know what? We should. Amen? Now, in love, restore. Why, why, do, why does church discipline exist? It's not to harm people. It's to restore them to fellowship. Amen? And if somebody loves you enough to come and say, hey, man, I love you, bro, and you know what? I, I saw you, you know, coming out of the strip club, man, and man, I, I know your wife didn't know about that, man. I'm just concerned for you. I love you, bro. I'll pray with you. I'm not going to tell anybody about it, but can I encourage you? You know, you need to stay out of there, right? And, the, and then the guy, hey, man, I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, then take a brother with Bro, man, this is going to harm your home, your family, your children. You know, it's going to lead to adult. Man, bro, can I? And he just says, hey, man, pound sand. I'm going to do whatever I want, right? And yet he comes to church on Sunday, right? And I'm glad he's here. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. But here's the thing eventually there must be enough love for that person and so this is what's happening here in a little more drastic of a fashion right Bing, right that doesn't draw you back into restoration i'm thinking a little, a little late for that now how does god respond to phineas verse 9 and verse 8 it says so the plague was stopped among the children of israel and all those who died in the plague were twenty-four thousand. So they died as a result of them turning aside from God, succumbing to the flesh, idol worship. Again, they're encamped right across from the land of promise. And sadly, because they turn their eyes onto the things of the flesh, they miss out on God's highest, and they turn away from the Lord, and they follow after their flesh, and in the end, it brings forth destruction. Verse 10 through 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. So God's covenant with Phinehas would be that his family would be blessed because he dealt with the sin in the camp, and he had zeal before the Lord, not out of self-righteousness, not out of self-promotion, but out of a love for God and His Word and the truth. He knew what the truth was, and he responded to it. Now, how does this apply to you and I? If you want your home and your family and your children to be blessed, we need to be zealous for God. Amen? We need to have a love and a passion for Him. And we, like Phineas, must take action to put sin out of the camp. Or in this case, out of our houses. Amen? Dads, it starts with you. God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your home. That's what God's called you to do. First and foremost, that's your number one calling in your life, is to be spiritual leader in your house. Priest of your household. Let me say this. Your children should learn more about the Lord from you than they do from me or from the children's ministry people here. This should be gravy on Sunday and Wednesday. Amen? They should be ministered to by mom and dad. And not just in what you teach them with your words, but how you live in front of them. You know, Christianity is more caught than taught. You walk it out in front of them. Why do people at work want to hear about your God? Because they see how you live your life. Amen? They see when everybody's panicking, you're not. God's in control. It's okay. It's all right. Going to heaven, right? I'm heaven bound. I'm going, right? It's okay, right? And they see how you have love for people and you're kind and you're not self-promoting. And they're going to go, what's up with you, man? Jesus. And part of that is just li is living the life in front of them, but it's also cleansing your house. Now I'm going to speak straight with you guys. If you have the internet at home and you don't have a filter on it, I want to encourage you highly to go get a filter on it. Amen? You know, as I was the men's pastor 
at two different churches for probably a total of, I don't know, 10 or 12 years total between them. And the number one struggle I heard from Christian men was pornography on the internet. I had men come to me all the time. You know why? Anonymity. Guys who would not go to a strip club if you gave them a million bucks. You know why? Because they're afraid someone might see them coming out. But in your house, everybody's asleep. You could turn on the, the internet and you can go wherever you want to go and no one's ever going to know. And it's an epidemic in the church today. It's an epidemic. You know, I heard this. This broke my heart. I was a youth pastor for years, as some of you know, and it wasn't the Calvary Chapel youth pastors, but a bunch of youth pastors were at the Double Tree in Orange County some years ago. I read this in a magazine. And it was the entire hotel was filled with youth pastors. And it came out in the paper that more pornography was rented on the televisions that weekend than any weekend in the history of the hotel. Why? No accountability. Away from home. The enemy's going, no one's going to know. You ever heard that before? Just, right? And so as the Christian leader in my home and in your home, I've got teenage boys. And you know what? We've got the most filtered thing we can get. And if there's a newer one that comes out, we're getting that. I want the vice grips on mine. You know what I'm saying? Because why? Because the enemy knows that he can use that to draw us away. What about the music we listen to? Again, I don't want to be legalistic, okay? I don't want this to come across like legalism. I'm not going to put my convictions on you. Let the Holy Spirit convict you what you should do, okay? My personal conviction, I don't listen to music unless it worships God. I just don't. Because God created music for worship, so I'm going to listen to music that does that. Now, if I listen to oldies on the radio, am I going to you know, go out and start mowing down people with a machine gun or something? Probably not, okay? But the difference is that if I listen to that stuff on the radio on the way to work, and I get out of my car, I'm thinking about that. If I'm listening to worship on the way to work, and I'm entering into God's presence, I get out of my car and I'm thinking about Him. Amen? That's how we just encourage you. Pray about that. You're the spiritual leader in your home. You know, moms and dads. What about the TV and the movies? You know, if you have cable at home and you've got HBO and stuff like that, I... all right, I'll get legal. Get rid of it. <laughs> Amen? I mean, just be, why? Because... Again, it's a window into hell in the corner of your living room sometimes, right? Now, I have TV at home, so I just want to make that clear. I like to watch sports, and I, you know, I'm a guy like anybody else. But I'll tell you what, I don't want anything that's going to come into my house that's going to, again, draw my family away from the Lord. Movies you go to. You know, there's a thing called screenit.com. I encourage you to check it out. You're going to go to a movie? Go to screenit.com. It'll tell you what's in the movie. I don't go to a lot of movies. I like to go to movies when there's a good one out. It's just very rare. And I go on that, and they'll tell me if there's anything, any swearing, anything in the movie, any, anything offensible. And if it is, I don't go. But again, that's up to you. And again, I don't want to come across like some legalistic guy, but I want to encourage you that what happens is that we, we operate in God's grace, but the, His desire is that we walk holy before Him. Why? Not because sin is bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It's not bad because God said not to do it. It's he, he forbid it because he knows it will bring us harm. If I go out and cheat on my wife, God tells me to do that not just because he doesn't want me to go out and do it, because he knows it will destroy my family. It will destroy my marriage. It will break relationship with him. And so I want to encourage you. What about the friendships that you have? The Bible says we're to minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. Now, does that mean we walk around self-righteous at work? You're not saved. Get away from me. Is that what we do? No. You should be the kindest and most loving person in the building. Amen? And you should love on them and take them to lunch and share Jesus with them and be an encouragement to them and be available for them. But are those the people you seek counsel from? Are those the people that you spend most of your time with? No. Because bad company corrupts good morals. You know, my mom used to show me an illustration when I was a kid and I did in youth group. You stand on a chair and you got someone below you and you're trying to pull them up and they're trying to pull you down. Who wins? They do every time. And, and so just be, you know, be conscious of that stuff. Because again, why did God bless his family and bless his children? Because he drove the sin out of the camp. He said, this isn't acceptable here. God's here. This is where we dwell. We can't have this here. <laughs> right? Pen him to the wall. And God desires that we would take some of the stuff that distracts us and keeps our eyes off of God and pin it to the wall. Amen? And just get it out of our house. Again, not legalistic, not you got to keep these rules so God will love you. Can I tell you, He loves you anyway? He loves you, right? Not because you do good works, but because He loves you, 
It should produce good works in our lives. Amen? Out of our love for Him, Lord, I love you. I want to be, walk in the center of your will. Take an active role in having a home set apart to God. Not just the stuff you remove, but the stuff that takes its place. Maybe instead of watching a rerun for the 712th time, spend some time in prayer with your family. You know, one of the things I love to do with my kids, we play Bible trivia. It's a blast. It's fun. My kids love it. I love it. It's great. Um, you know, have devotions with your family. Have worship music playing in your house. And it doesn't mean, you know, people think because I'm a pastor, my kids, you know, walk around the house singing, you know, singing praise songs all day, you know, brushing their teeth in the morning. Right? Got the joy, 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 joy. Right? The reality is my kids are kids, and they blow it, and, and they need the Lord just as desperately as everyone else, and so do I, and so does my marriage, and so do my family. But you know what? We can make conscious decisions to put God first at home. Amen? And just to take this stuff out and, and pin it to the wall and say, Lord, you're first. Because you know what's best for me and you love me. You're not a no-fun bummer God trying to keep me from having any fun. You're a great and awesome guy who loves me. I don't let my kids play on the freeway. You've heard me say that. It's not because I'm a no-fun bummer dad. Because I know a bus is coming down the street, right? And I don't want my kids getting hit by it. And God says, don't do this because it will harm you. And so Phineas, his entire family was blessed. Why? Because he took a stand for the truth, for holiness before God. He had courage. Now look at verse 14. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Zalu, the leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. So he was a leader of the Simeonites. You know what his name means? I like this. His name means remember me. I'm thinking that'll probably happen. <laughs> I think that's a good bet. Worship idols, hang out with a Midianite woman, prostitute, you're going to get pinned to the wall. I'm thinking, not doing that anytime soon, right? Stay away from Phineas if you do that, right? Here's the reality. And so his name was Remember Me. And this prince of the house of Simeon, now it's interesting, later, when they have the numbers of the tribes, the tribe of Simeon drops like a stone. And it could be that a huge number of the house of Simeon had fallen into this sin, and it could very well have been because they followed the lead of this leader. This guy led them. They, you know, what do people do? They kind of look. You know, what do your kids do? I'll be with my kids somewhere, and they'll hear, they'll, hear, they'll hear a swear word. You know what they do? Look at me. Well, what does Dad think of that? <laughs> right? You know, some go, oh, what did that, you know, and if I'm on, oh, that's not good. They're like, oh, I didn't think it was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? They look for mom and dad's response. They, they pattern themselves after us. And so this leader could have said, hey, man, I'm going to go check out some babes, man. They're looking pretty fine. The guys are like, right on right? He's going, we, let's go, right? And they just all followed him. And we see the tribe of Simeon drop in number. And you'll see it as we go on later. At the, at just again, the accountability of being in leadership. Look at verse 15. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Bill. No, the daughter of Zur. And so this woman Cosby, I'm sorry, the youth pastor in me will never die. I can't help it. All right, Cosby's name, her name means deception. And boy, did she live up to it, didn't she? She came into the camp, and she probably got five gold stars because she got a leader. Oh, man, I got me a leader. Come on. Look at this guy. He's a leader, and he's worshiping Baal. I, look, I did my job. High five, right? Well, we're going to find out that she's going to get the point in a few minutes, right? Now, the daughter... <laughs> youth pastor daughter she's a daughter of a Midianite chief and their their positions of prominence again may have stopped the judges from educating judgment on them but it was not going to stop Phineas because he was not a respecter of men or a respecter of titles and this woman whose name means deception deceived Zimri but she faced judgment ultimately amen and we can trick men, and we can fool men, and we can appear holy before men, and we can appear righteous before men, and behind the scenes, we can be the most ungodly people. You can fool your pastor, you can fool your, your parents, you can fool your co-workers, but you can't fool God. He knows exactly where you are, and he knew exactly where this woman was. And again, judgment came. Last few verses here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them. For they harassed you and their schemes by which they seduced you in a matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of the Midian, and their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Now, we see the sin of Israel. 
cause them to fall, them taking a stand for truth. And now lastly, we see God's judgment upon the Midianites. If you're here in six weeks, we're going to be in, in Numbers 31, and we're going to see God's judgment on the Midianites. And people again struggle and say, he's wiping out an entire people. That just doesn't seem right. But God has for years and years and years and years cautioned them and warned them that judgment was coming, and they kept saying, I'm not interested. Not unlike people today who are told about the love of God, who repeatedly say, I don't care. The Lord loves you. He died for you. I don't care. I don't need it. I'm, you know, the guy that told me, Little League Field is one of my favorite places to share my faith because I'm there all day on Saturday with all three of my boys playing Little League baseball. And we have a lot of people coming to our church in the Little League Field. Praise God for that. But this one guy said, I'm the master of my own domain, man. I'm in charge. Nobody tells me what to do. Me and God got an understanding. I'm like, Really? Well, you don't believe and you're going to hell? What's the understanding? I don't get it, right? I mean, what is the understanding? Well, me, I'm the master of my own domain. I'm, I'm really smart. And Christianity is just a crutch. I said, dude, it's not a crutch. It's a stretcher because I couldn't limp into heaven without Jesus. Amen? <laughs> I mean, the reality is, the reality is that we are so desperately in need of God and it's pride that makes us say we don't need Him. And so what happens is the cross of Christ is presented to people and they say, oh, I don't need it. I- I'm good. I'm a good man. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. Well, I'm a good man. I don't need it. I'm good. I've got my own path. I've got my own way. No, you need Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And he reaches out his hands out of love for you and says, I will pay the sin for you if you will just let me. But people who reject it get what they're asking for. Ultimately, he's going to give them the desire of their heart. They're going to say, no, 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 like the Midianites do. No, 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 no. We're serving Baal. He's our God. We want to follow him. And eventually, God's wrath comes upon them. And you know who's going to be killed with the Midianites? A man by the name of Balaam. Balaam, who had seen Jesus on the road. Balaam, who God had spoken through, who the Spirit of God had come upon him. Balaam, who had stood up on the mountain and looked down and seen the cross and was unable to curse the people. Balaam, who a donkey turned around and talked to. Balaam went to the Midianites and said, I got a way to get Israel. Go get them. And then God, when the Midianites were smote in chapter 31, so too was Balaam. Now lastly, I want you to see something here because I find this interesting. In Numbers 22 to 24, they were encamped in the cross. They were set apart to God. They were unable to be cursed like you and I, righteous in Christ. The Bible says, as you saw on Sunday in Romans 8, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You're past, you're not condemned, God's forgiven you. You don't need to go back to the past, you don't need to dredge it up anymore, you don't need to talk about it, you don't need to deal with your baggage or your issues or anything. It is finished, amen? All done, you don't have, don't have to deal with your past anymore. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven and you're set free. Now you get to Numbers 25 and it kind of seems like God's mad, right? God's mad, look, he's bringing judgment. 22, 23, and 24, they're in the cross, now he's bringing judgment. Well, those are the ones who had stepped out of the cross. But let me, give you, let me give you the analogy for us today, and I think this will bless you because it blessed me when, when God showed it to me this afternoon. That judgment that came upon them is not where we are today because we are now under grace. When they sinned, what happened to their leaders? Taken out of the city and what? Hung in the sun. What happened What judgment came for our sin? Our Savior was taken out and hung in the sun and took our sin. What happened to the individual who had sinned? The spear was cast through them. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what was the last thing they did to Him? They put a what? They put a spear into His side and water and blood poured out. Isn't that good? So what does that mean? That means for you and I today that as He looked on them with judgment, He looks at us through the cross with grace and mercy and forgiveness. Amen? And we see here that when they were hung in the sun, it says His rage or His fury against them was turned away. Right? And when Jesus, when God the Father looks at us through the cross, His judgment is turned away. Amen? And when the spear was cast through them, again, it was God's judgment upon them, but Jesus took it for us. And when the spear went in, water and blood came out. Blood is a representation of the redemptive work of the cross. Amen? 
And that's what Jesus did. He paid the price for you. And we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and our sins are forgiven. So, praise God that, that unlike in the time of Numbers, because we are the children of God and we ask God to forgive us, His anger and wrath have been turned away. And now He looks at us through the blood of His Son and He sees us righteous and He sees us holy. How has your my sin been paid for again through Jesus? And praise God for that. Praise God for His grace. Numbers 25. So close and yet so far. May we not succumb to the sin of the flesh. The Bible says walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. May we take a stand for truth and holiness beginning in our own homes. Guys, gals, start at home. If it doesn't honor God, get rid of it. Amen? And then lastly, remember that we're new creations in Christ and may we walk in the power of the Spirit of the living God remembering that we've been forgiven. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that You see us through the blood of Your Son. And we thank You that we've been forgiven. We've asked You to forgive us. You've forgiven us. You've separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, I pray that You would help us, Lord, where there's areas where, where we're compromising. Father, not to do it so that You will love us, but do it because You love us. And You know what's best for us. Lord, if there's things in our home or in our cars or in our, in our office, or, Lord, if there's anything that's going on on our computer at home, Lord, if there's something there that draws our eyes off of you, Lord, I pray you just help us to, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to just remove it from our home, to cleanse our house the way that Phineas cleansed the camp, that our home might be blessed, our children might be blessed, our families might be set apart unto you. And we thank you, Lord, that you hung so that we wouldn't have to. We thank you, Lord, that the spear was cast in your side so that we would not have to have a spear run through us. We thank you that you paid the price. You're such a great and an awesome God. Help us, Lord, to, to be a salt and light to a world around us, to love people the way you love them, to see them with your eyes. We pray for revival here in Santa Cruz. And may it start in our hearts first. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Let's stand and close the worship song.